Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, welcome to a new episode of Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we're talking about Germany's new citizenship law being voted on in the Bundestag. We're exploring why Germany's economy is being hit so hard and what that means for people living here. Deutsche Bahn has said it wants to run a direct train service from Germany to the UK. We're going to talk about whether this could become a reality and why progress has been so slow. An investigation revealed that the far-right Alternative for Germany, or AFD, met with extremists and other far-right individuals to discuss a deportation master plan targeting people with a foreign background. How concerned should we be about this? We'll get into all of that and hear from a political scientist. Lastly, we'll talk about the etiquette to know if you're going to a German party or gathering so you don't make the mistakes we've made. I'm Rachel Oxen and I'm here in Berlin today once again with the local Germany editor Rachel Stern and journalist Imogen Goodman. Hello to you both. Hello. Hi, Rach. How's it going? Yeah, good. Uh, good. I'm feeling very exhilarated, actually. Um, I love the snow, as I've probably mentioned before. But yesterday, I managed to combine two of my big loves, snow and ice dipping, at once. Uh, so I went out with a friend to Kromalanka, which is a beautiful lake in a forest near Berlin. And we didn't have to break the ice, luckily, but we went in uh, the water only for about two minutes or so. But that was enough. So that was really fun. Would recommend it if That's you're brave amazing. enough. That's <laughs> amazing. I admire your Bravery. I, on the other hand, was staying put and only looking at the snow from afar outside of the window. <laughs> That's also a legitimate way to, to do snow, I think, from inside the comfort of your home. <laughs> Definitely. Did you feel good after Imogen? Like, did you feel some really good effect? I did, yeah. I mean, it was horrible. To be honest, it was horrible getting changed <laughs> afterwards. That's always the hardest part, trying to get back into your warm clothes. But we weren't actually the most hardcore people there. We saw a woman straight afterwards who, who went for a proper swim not even dipping just swimming doing laps and I just thought wow that's that's another level but you do just feel this real uh, real buzz for the rest of the day even if you're only in for a minute I think the Germans are made of hardy stuff oh definitely yeah definitely yeah it explains why in German you have the expression warm dusche like warm shower to kind of mean somebody who's weak because they're taking a warm shower versus a cold one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with a warm shower. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Great. Um, before we get into it, I have a couple of service announcements. We are going to do an episode soon answering your questions about life in Germany. So if there's something you want us to try and answer, maybe it's about culture, politics or food, you can submit a question in the survey in the show notes. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. We love to hear your feedback. 
Let's get into the big news stories of the week. We're starting off with the new naturalization law because it is scheduled to be voted on by the German parliament on Friday, the day this episode comes out. Imogen, you spotted this on the agenda on Monday. We had previously thought it was going to be a little bit later, but it seems to be happening this week, if all goes to plan. Is it going to be passed in the Bundestag? Yes, we certainly hope so. And honestly, um, there have been so many delays to this law. We've been following it. If anyone else has been following it with us, they will know that there's just hurdle after hurdle. So when I didn't originally see it listed on the Bundestag website, I thought, okay, there's another delay. It's going to be February. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, it now seems to have been snuck back back onto the agenda for uh, the end of the week, so for Friday. And they are doing the third and second readings at once. There should be a vote, and we're really expecting that to pass. The other significant thing is that this is the last chance uh, opposition parties like the Christian Democrats or CDU have to kind of kick up a fuss about these plans. And I'm sure there are going to be some quite grumpy faces in the Bundestag on Friday. But luckily, there isn't much they can do at this stage to stop the law passing. That's because the three traffic light coalition parties, the Social Democrats, the Greens and the Free Democrats, collectively have a majority in the Bundestag. So we think all of their combined votes are going to see this law pass easily, which is great news. You mentioned there's some opposition. What are the obstacles that this law could face in the Bundestag or what are they going to be moaning about, basically? Yeah, no, that's right. Um, it's it's no secret that the CDU and their sort of sister party in Bavaria, the CSU, are really dead set against any liberalisation of uh, citizenship or immigration laws. And there are some key features of this law, like permitting multiple nationalities or dual nationality or shortening residence requirements for citizenship that they really do not like. So their argument, and they've, they've been using this line for quite a long time, is that naturalisation should come at the end of a successful integration process and not at the start of it, by which I think they kind of mean they want foreigners to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop, live here almost a decade, but basically how it is now to kind of prove themselves before they get the privilege of becoming German. So as a last ditch attempt to kind of make their views known um, and try and sort of tighten up this law. They have put quite a few amendments on the table that are going to be considered on Friday. So one of these is relating to the recognition of Israel and the state of Israel. Um, They seem to want foreigners to have to sign some kind of statement saying Israel has a right to exist before they can naturalise as Germans. And there are also ideas on the table about potentially limiting naturalisation to people who have been employed for the past two years at the very least. So no one who's had a bit of a break from work or been on benefits at all uh, could naturalise. In my view, it's it's highly unlikely that any of these amendments will actually make it into the law. Um, and like I say, the governing parties do have this comfortable majority, but we can definitely expect some heated debates and, you know, as I say, some scowling faces in the <laughs> Bundestag. 
Definitely. And these points have already been debated on quite a bit by the coalition itself, haven't they? Because the law has been tightened. The draft law has been tightened around anti-Semitism. There's been discussion about people on benefits and things like that. So it has went through quite a few transformations anyway. Definitely. I think the FDP in particular has been pushing to kind of tighten it up in that regard, um, either when it comes to making sure people are financially stable when they get a German passport, that they're not, in their own words, immigrating into the welfare system. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they've also been pushing to make sure that anyone that's been convicted of an anti-Semitic crime will never be able to become German. So, uh, So that has been acknowledged in the law. And I think it looks like all the parties governing parties are happy with it. So as I say, these these uh, amendments seem like they're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, on Friday, keep an eye out on the local Germany site. We will, of course, be reporting on all the developments and we'll add any updates in the show notes. Just to remind everyone that this new law will allow people to hold dual or multiple citizenships. It reduces the required residency needed to apply for German citizenship from eight to the current five years or even three three years if you're well integrated and have C1 level German. There are also some carve-outs for the over 67th and some other changes. We'll link to a story in the show notes with all this information. So Imogen, what happens next then? Well, we're hoping that the vote on Friday really marks the end of a really long wait for foreigners in Germany. So the end of this long parliamentary process and, uh, you know, all the, all the various votes that needed to happen. And obviously, things won't change overnight. Um, so we're expecting at least a three-month implementation phase after this. And what we're hearing from sources in government is that the law is still on track to be in force by April. So the wait is almost over. Over, but there is going to be there are going to be a few more months that we're going to have to kind of count down the days. So as you say, that means in April, hopefully anyone who has their citizenship application accepted will no longer have to give up their previous passport, that things will be quicker for people after April. And as you say, that there are going to be um, certain groups who things are a bit easier for when it comes to um, things like language tests. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Imogen. We're, we're excited to see what happens. Reports this week show Germany is not doing so well economically and is looking like the recession will continue. So, of course, this has a knock-on effect on all of our lives for those who are living here. Rachel, can you tell us more about the latest recession news and why Germany's economy isn't doing so well? Yeah, Rach. So Germany's Federal Statistics Office announced this week that the German economy shrunk by 0.3% in 2023 due to multiple crises. And unfortunately, this year doesn't seem like it's going to bring so much improvement. After those figures came out, the head of global research at the Dutch bank ING said that Germany looks set to have its first two years in a row of a recession since the early 2000s. And this drop, um, as I mentioned, is due to several factors. Germany is basically in a perpetual crisis mode. So following Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022, energy prices went soaring and food costs also spiked. And while those costs have come down a little bit, now we also have the conflict in the Middle East to worry about, um, which is causing a lot of insecurity. And there's also 
the current budget crisis in which Germany is scrambling to fill a 17 billion euro deficit in its budget. Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. And this is also bad news because more companies could cut jobs, which we've already seen a lot of in Germany in the last year. I know a lot of people who have been laid off from their startup or another company in Germany. And the government is already cutting back on spending, like you mentioned, because of this budget crisis. So what's going on with inflation? Is this getting any better? It got better and then it got worse again. Oh, so, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, inflation, as probably most people living here know, reached a record high at the end of 2022, about 10%. Um, and it started to steadily go down in the last months of last year. But it rose all in all um, 5.9% in 2023, which marks the second highest level since reunification in the early 90s. And it's driven a lot by high consumer prices. So just to give you an idea, bread and cereal products became 16.4% more expensive, dairy products and eggs, um, as well as some products like sugar and jam, rose by 15.7%. And fish and vegetables also went up. But anybody who adheres to a German diet will be pleased that at least one price has gone down. Um, Now, butter is almost 18% cheaper. Wow. (laughs) You know what I can't believe when I go into a supermarket in Berlin and olive oil is like 10 euros now or something. What is that about? (laughs) It's crazy, right? It is crazy. It is crazy. I feel like the cost of my average shop has gone up 25% easily, yeah, easily. Easily, yeah. And also in the restaurants and cafes, they have the VAT, which we mentioned before, which mm. has gone up. So they're feeling it and it's more expensive to eat out as well. Mm-hmm. Do we reckon things will change anytime soon? Basically, is there any good news? So some economists have said that there's a small glimmer of hope Amid the rise in inflation, there's also strong real wage growth, um, which means that private consumption in particular is likely to pick up again um, and coupled with the increased demand for German exports around the world, the GDP as a whole could grow this year. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Rachel. Let's move on to some travel news. So this is pretty cool. Deutsche Bahn, that's Germany's state-owned rail operator, has said it is interested in running a direct train between Germany and the UK that would go through the Channel Tunnel. Imogen, what do we know so far? Yeah, this is really exciting news for Brits uh, in particular, but also anyone who loves visiting the UK. Um, though, unfortunately, I do have to say nothing is quite set in stone just yet. So, <laughs> we unfortunately, can't get ahead don't, of ourselves. No, no, don't try and book this online just yet. Um, so, yeah, this story basically all relates to Deutsche Bahn um, saying that it really is making it a priority to launch a direct ICE, so high-speed service, um, running from Germany to the UK and most likely from Frankfurt to London. This actually isn't a a new idea. Um, Way back in uh, 2013, uh, which feels like a lifetime ago, um, Deutsche Bahn did um, float plans for this service. So their idea was to have it start in Frankfurt, as I say, um, and go all the way to London via Cologne, Brussels, 
Brussels, Lille um, in France, and finally go via the Channel Tunnel to uh, the UK capital. Unfortunately, this this never got off the ground, but hopefully if this does happen in the near future, it would run on a kind of similar route. And I just have to say that would be a huge improvement over the current situation, which does require people who want to travel by train uh, changing in Brussels. Sometimes this works out okay, but the um, trains aren't always that well coordinated. One piece of good news, which we have talked about on the podcast, is that there is a new night train that does run directly from Berlin to Brussels and it syncs up quite well with the Eurostar, but I still feel like a direct train would be another step up entirely. What's holding it up then since they've been talking about this since 2013? Yeah, you know, you would expect there to to have been some movement in 10 years or or 11 years now. (laughs) Um, But apparently they've just been stuck on a few technical and safety related issues. Um, So the fact that the infrastructure in the Channel Tunnel just isn't quite there for what it isn't quite what Deutsche Bahn needs. Um, so for the entire three decades since the Channel Tunnel um, has, was opened, it's actually turns 30 this year, Eurostar has run a monopoly there. But now the operator of the tunnel, so Getlink um, is the company, is saying they want to double the number, number of services um, to and from the UK, uh, from Europe. So unfortunately, there is a crucial bit of equipment uh, used by European uh, rail op- operators, which is called the European Train Control System, I believe, and that currently isn't supported in the Channel Tunnel. Uh, so that needs to be there before Deutsche Bahn can run its uh, high-speed rail um, through the tunnel. The good news is that Getlink say we're on it. Hopefully sometime in the next sort of five years, we will have this technology in place and European operators that aren't Eurostar will be able to run their services to and from London. So, yeah, in the medium term, not much is is going on, but hopefully sometime in the coming years, we'll see this um, get off the ground. Yeah, that's so interesting because I did think Eurostar ran the channel tunnel. <laughs> That's what I thought. Never heard of this Getlink uh, company, but uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so five years, hopefully. Yes. So we have heard a lot recently about night trains being expanded in Europe. And in December, the Paris-Berlin night train relaunched, which was really exciting. I haven't been on it yet, but sounds cool. But there has been some criticism of it already. Yes. Yeah, this is actually a real shame because um, I know a lot of people and including us in this booth um, had really high hopes for all of these night trains. And, you know, it is lovely to see all these new links springing up and this kind of transition towards rail uh, kind of taking off. That said, there are criticisms. And unfortunately, there do seem to be a lot of barriers to actually taking advantage of these cool services that we're reporting on. According to German train watchdog uh, Bahn für Alle, so Rail for Everyone, uh, there are two big factors that are really driving people away from these new night services and back onto planes and into cars. And one major factor is price. So a lot of these night trains do offer budget seats and they advertise prices that are well under 100 euros one way, for instance. But the reality is that the tickets do tend to cost a lot more than the advertised price, and especially if you want a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. So one Twitter user actually uh, recently wanted to book an overnight ticket from Vienna to Hamburg. And he pointed out that even on some random day in winter, which is not expected to be a particularly busy time, a single cabin would have set him back almost 600 euros. So 
as he said, that is the equivalent of flying business class and staying overnight at one of the priciest hotels in Hamburg. So it seems pretty obvious which one most people would choose uh, yeah. in this scenario. Um, an uncomfortable night's sleep in a rail carriage or business class in a five-star hotel. So another issue that Barnfa Allah mentioned is the complicated nature of, of booking these tickets. They say it's completely unuser-friendly and it's just confusing for people. One of the reasons for this is actually that these night trains do tend to have several different kind of stakeholders or kind of bit or different businesses and operators involved. But as the Rail Watchdog pointed out, people really don't want to have to do a ton of research just to know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where to book your ticket. So, yeah, unfortunately, we do have these services, but they don't seem to quite be attractive enough yet to really be the big transition that, that we were all hoping, I think. Last week, a report by the nonprofit investigative journalism newsroom Corrective found that officials from the far right party Alternative for Germany, or the AFD, attended a meeting along with extremists where a so-called master plan to deport foreigners and people with a migration background in Germany was discussed. This is a concept known as remigration, which is well known among right-wing extremist circles. We'll hear from a political scientist in a moment. But first, Rachel, can you tell us more about this meeting who reportedly attended and what was talked about? Yeah, so this is about an event that took place near Potsdam and it included high-ranking members of the AFD, including an aide to leader Alice Weidel, lawyers, doctors, business people, and even some members of a fringe element of the Christian Democrats. And this took place at the end of November last year, and they're said to have discussed plans for this remigration concept. Um, so in other words, the forced expulsion of foreigners and even Germans with a migration background in the event of the AFD coming to power. And at this meeting, which Critic T was undercover at, uh, Martin Selner, who's the leader of the identitarian movement in Austria, presented his master plan for remigration, and that included saying that so-called unassimilated citizens in Germany could be deported to a quote-unquote model state in North Africa. Do we know what else happened there, according to this investigation? 
Yeah, so from the investigation, it seems like it was a networking event in which, quote-unquote, experts could trade far-right ideas and talk about how to promote them. It was kind of an elitist event because there was reportedly a suggested minimum donation of 5,000 euros just to be in attendance. And the report said that there were also appeals for donations, and it also talked about how to make the AFD's ideas more widespread among the German population, especially among young people who the AFD wants to target on platforms like TikTok and YouTube. Yeah, I think the striking thing about all of this, and it is a a truly shocking story, is just how much the focus has shifted from exchanging, talking about these kind of fringe ideas to really asking questions of how to implement them. So the legal consequences, for instance, of trying to deport someone with a German passport who, for whatever reason, just isn't German enough uh, for their liking. And it really speaks to this idea that the AfD do feel emboldened, that they feel that they are on the, uh, that they can smell the power on the other side of a few elections. Um, particularly in states like Saxony and Thuringia, who are where the AfD are doing very well and who are voting, uh, going to the polls this year. So it's very frightening to see them suddenly focus on this question of the practicalities um, of, of enacting some of these ideas which are anti-democratic, dehumanizing and frankly unconstitutional. Yeah, and also that you know, wealthy businessmen were reportedly at this event and, mm. and, you know, that it was kind of upstanding members of communities, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing that Correctiv actually said was that, OK, although this was a secret meeting, it wasn't that hard to find out about. They are not trying to keep this completely under mm-hmm. wraps. There is no sense of that this is this huge kind of scandal. There are a lot of people admitting to to being there and... Um, that just shows that compared to maybe 10, 20 years ago, um, these far-right ideas um, have really entered the mainstream a lot more. Rachel, what has been the reaction to all of this? And what has the AFD said about it? So the AFD did say that some of their members were there, although AFD officials denied any plans to adopt the proposal presented by Selner. And the AFD said that Roland Hartwig, who was the aide to Alice Fidel, had presented a social media project at the meeting, but he said that they would not, quote unquote, bring Mr. Selner's ideas on migration policies into the party and also added that it would, quote, not change its immigration policies based on the individual ideas of a speaker at the meeting. But that said, the meeting drew a lot of outrage from people across the political spectrum who argued that the AFD's presence in the first place showed their support of remigration. And that's not to mention that some chapters have directly used the word on campaign slogans, so they can't exactly hide that that's not one of their ideas. And some have pointed out the really eerie parallels to the Nazis who had an initial plan to deport European Jews to Madagascar. And one FDP parliamentary group leader said, 
oh, quote unquote, the plans to expel millions of people are reminiscent of the darkest chapter in German history. The research cited by media organization Correctiv shows that the AFD deeply rejects democracy and our liberal basic order. And the news of this meeting um, also led to mass protest over the weekend um, against the AFD. And tens of thousands of people took part, um, including German Chancellor Olaf Scholz and Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbach. Thanks for that, Rachel. Let's hear now from Kai Otzheimer, a political scientist and German politics expert based at the University of Mainz. I started off by asking Kai how worried we should be that this is being talked about by the AFD and others at a meeting like this in Germany. Yeah, it's it's really like a blast from the past. It reminds you of what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Obviously, um, we have a party which is the second strongest opposition party in parliament, the strongest party in the eastern states, deliberating how they could deport not just foreigners from Germany, but also Germans who have an unusual surname or whose skin is of a different shade or we have the wrong kind of religion. This is very scary. And I'm, in fact, very worried about these developments. Unfortunately, not surprised, but still very worried. So we know that the, the AFD is openly anti-immigration. We've, you know, we've heard about that in the past. But this investigation does show, as you kind of mentioned, how xenophobic and racist the party is. Do you think this is damaging for the party? So back in 2017, 2018, 2019, I believe all this comes to light. Um, Yes, this will severely limit support for the party at perhaps 10 or 12 percent, like previous right-wing extremist parties, like the NPD, for instance. And that was also the worry of the previous party leadership. He installed a task force to keep the party on the right side of the constitution, if you wish. Didn't succeed. There has been a drip feed of revelations, you know, that the former MP for the party was involved in this plot to basically overthrow the constitution. There have been use about WhatsApp groups where other MPs for the party chatted with so-called Reichsbürgers and dreamed of a revolution, but it hasn't made a dent so far in support for the AFD. So unfortunately, those perhaps 20-22% of the German population who intend to vote for that party are not in somehow dissuaded by all these revelations about revolution. So I, I, I don't know what has to happen before these people change their minds. Wow. Um, and we do have three elections in eastern Germany coming up yes. later this year where the, the AFD is very high in, in the polls. So do you think that this could even increase support for them, this coming out? Or do you think maybe it could stabilise a little bit? Well, we have to see how this will play out uh, over time. These revelations came round about a week ago. There have been demonstrations on the weekend. The other parties are picking up this story. There's renewed talk about a ban of the party. And I'm not sure two or three or four weeks down the line how public opinion will respond to this new revelation. So um, it might make a dent in their support. It might perhaps encourage some of their most extreme voters to come to the fore. What I think is important is that ordinary Germans wake up to this danger and that those who are disaffected with politics but not happy to basically expel their neighbours from Germany, that 
um, they stop non-voting or reconsider their vote for the AFD and instead vote for democratic parties. So do you think this could be or should be a wake-up call for, for Germans? Hopefully, yes. Uh, I mean, last week when the story broke, the president of the Federal Office for the Protection of the Constitution, Thomas Haldenbaum, he said, I think a very clever thing. He said that the center of German society is still asleep and is sleepwalking into a crisis of democracy and that ordinary people have to realize the danger that the AFD presents to liberal democracy in Germany. Could the AFD ever be banned? And how would that look? Yeah, it's a tricky question. So it is possible to ban parties in Germany, but the hurdles are very high. Last time it happened was in 1956 with the Communist Party. And there have been two attempts to ban the NPD, an openly right-wing extremist neo-Nazi party, and both attempts failed. Because the only institution that can ban a party in Germany is the Federal Constitutional Court. So the government or the National Parliament, the Federal Council would have to ask the court to ban the AFD. They would have to present evidence that the AFD is actively working against the democratic constitution. And then a supermajority of two-thirds of the court would have to vote in favor of such a ban. So there is a real risk that this could backfire. Imagine the government going to court and the court saying, no, we're not going to ban them. That would be a boon for the AFD. They would have like a stamp of approval by the highest court in the country. This is why so far there is not too much political support for such a ban. But at the moment, there could be a, a change of heart, if you wish, within the political class because of the danger that the AFD presents for democracy. And how likely is it that the AFD could enter into power in a state or even the federal government in future? I think at the federal level, it's quite, I wouldn't say impossible, but highly unlikely. At the state level, I think think um, this year's elections will be crucial. The AFD is particularly strong uh, in Thüringen and Sachsen, and they are also particularly radical in these two states. And still, they are the strongest party. They have around 35% perhaps of the vote. And depending on the performance of the smaller parties, whether they manage to overcome the 5% threshold or not, that might bring them awfully close to a majority in parliament. And even if they are just the strongest party, there is a chance that a president of parliament for the AFD, you know, usually the strongest party gets the presidency of parliament. And in, in Thüringen, there are real worries because there's like a gap in the state constitution that could give power to um, a future AFD parliamentary president to swear in Jan Höcke as minister-president of Turin. And then we're really in uncharted territory. This guy is a right-wing extremist. This is not a controversial statement. This is a factual statement. There are rulings by German courts that you are allowed to call him a fascist because this is not libel. This is factual. Uh, and this guy could get to the levers of power of a small German state, but still a German state. So he would be the head of the administration. The police, uh, the state police would be under his control. This is scary. It's not impossible. It's perhaps not even highly likely. It's still up in the air. It depends on how the political process pans out over the next eight or nine months. Before we finish for the day, we're going to talk about German parties. I know it's January and the festive season is, feels like a long time ago, but I feel like one way to get through the winter is to socialize and attend some gatherings and maybe even a full-blown party, <laughs> if that's your thing. So guys, let me ask you, what is something 
people should know when going to a German party or social gathering, whether it's like a venue, a bar, restaurant, club or someone's house? Well, my view on this, uh, as a little caveat, my view may be somewhat skewed because Berlin is definitely a big party city. So I'm really sorry if this isn't appropriate for people living in kind of smaller towns or sleepier villages um, somewhere in rural Baden-Württemberg or something. Um, But speaking from my experience, uh, one thing I've noticed and that actually used to really annoy me is how late people tend to go out here and also how late they kind of turn up to things. So you can try your best to say, oh, get here by seven, guys. No one's turning up before nine. Um, So actually in in England, uh, that's quite a contrast, I guess, in the UK in general because of our alcohol laws. People tend to do the after work drinks thing. It's not weird to say, oh, let's let's go for a pint at 5.30 or 6. And in Berlin, and like I say, you're lucky if you get someone to leave the house before nine. That said, and this is why this is my tip, um, as time has gone on, I have realised that turning up late is a bit of a self-preservation thing because pubs and bars are open really late and sometimes they just don't close at all. There are plenty of 24-hour kind of kniping about. Um, so in the UK, your night out is kind of capped at around midnight max on a Saturday. And here it's pretty normal to find bars that are open till like four. 4am on a school night. So my tip would be do not try and mix the British drinking times with the German drinking times because you may well die of alcohol poisoning. Don't start at 6pm and go till 4am. Just be happy to take your time getting ready, turn up at a relaxed sort of time and just be aware that you may also be staying out quite late because that seems to be how things work here. So I'll share my perspective as a parent who probably goes to bed just when people are heading out of the house. Unfortunately, I don't have any super exciting anecdotes from a big night out, at least not recent ones. But I can share some tips that I picked up from dinner parties here, especially my American perspective, just of dining etiquette. So one thing that still kind of catches me off guard is that as American when there's something like a pizza on the table, I instinctively want to pick up a big slice with my hands. But as I've noticed from Germans and many other Europeans, um, they kind of daintily cut the slice, um, even if it's one of these thick uh, slices, with a fork and knife. So I've had to exhibit a little bit more patience in this regard. And I also (laughs) noticed just how often people use a knife. Um, For us Americans, we only really use a knife if the food requires it, like it's a big juicy steak, which I don't usually eat anyways as a vegetarian. But I've noticed that, you know, Germans will use their butter knife for everything, even just uh, separating the salad leaves. So um, at German dinner parties, I've had to eat a little bit slower and be more mindful and not just kind of scarf everything down. So that's a (laughs) a fun observation, I think. So Rachel, has you covered if you're an American (laughs) coming to Germany and thinking about cutlery, I guess, (laughs) or or non-use of cutlery with a pizza. Um, I love this advice, guys. I would add that don't try and organize like a kitty or like a whip round, like a, a buy people rounds of drinks in the pub. I made that mistake when I first arrived in Germany and people definitely thought I was trying to steal from them. You guys know what kitty is, right? Do you know, Rachel? You've talked about it before, but probably, inform us. <laughs> I'm so boring. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, when you like, you all put your money together and then you just buy rounds with it all night. 
in Germany, you just pay for the drinks yourself, mm-hmm. basically. You might, the odd time, buy a drink for your friend, but in a big group, you would just yeah. pay yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's definitely the round culture doesn't really happen, which is a shame. I think there's something quite nice about it, about the kind of informal trust that you have that someone's going to get you back. But no, you've got your own money, you've got your own drinking schedule, and that's that. (laughs) Exactly. And definitely bring a drink if you're going to a party. I think you should bring Mm -hmm. a bottle of wine, a few beers. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that's quite obvious. And also uh, for a housewarming party, bread and salt are the two things. Although if you want to be clever about it, like my friend was, you can bring around beer and say it's kind of like fermented bread um, Uh, as a a way around that if it's a bit weird to turn up with a loaf of bread. But that's traditional. um, So that's a nice little way to impress your German friends who have just moved. I love that. And also take your shoes off before when you're going into someone's house. Most Germans do not like you wearing shoes and things. I feel like I love that. (laughs) No, I mean like in the house. (laughs) Yeah, you know, Americans tend to wear their shoes inside, but now there's no way I could imagine again wearing shoes inside. It's just too dirty. So it's nice to leave them at the door and not worry about filth of your whatever falls on the floor. That's it for this week. Thank you so much to all our listeners. As always, we will add links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about today. This week's panelists have been Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman. Our guest was Kai Artsheimer and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. I'm Rachel Loxton and we hope you enjoyed listening. We'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.